0: Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friend, today's topic is one that will help you amplify your organization's voice. We're going to do a nonprofit case study about launching a podcast to build your community, strengthen relationships, and better achieve your mission. And Thomas Murphy from the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund is going to be joining us to have that conversation. What if you could personally reach out to hundreds, maybe even thousands of nonprofit supporters every week. And when I say reach out, I don't mean like send them an email that maybe they read or they don't read. I mean joining them on walks, going grocery shopping with them, commuting in the car or on the train, preparing dinner right beside them, or even, I don't want this to sound too creepy, but even whispering in their ear at the gym. That's the kind of access that's really hard to get to your supporters, to your donors, to your funders, and to your community leaders. And friend, for years I have been saying that every nonprofit, including your organization, can do just that by starting a podcast. And when you do it, you strengthen your relationships, you find new supporters, and believe it or not, you even gain greater influence in your community and in whatever sectors you're operating in. So when Thomas Murphy reached out to me and said, hey, my organization, the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund, has started a podcast, and I'd love to come on and talk about podcasts and really why my organization started it and why every nonprofit should, my initial reaction was absolutely. But first, let me go and listen to the podcast and make sure that it's one that's really engaging and one that I think, yeah, that they're doing a great job of podcasts. Let me also disclose to you, friend, that when I first went to their website, I thought, "Oh, interesting! It's a scholarship fund for young people who've worked at Massachusetts golf courses." And my initial thought was, "Okay, um, I've putted it and done Top Golf with foster kids a few times, but otherwise, I don't play golf. I don't really know anything about golf. I, this might be a little too niche for me." But I said, "You know, let me let me go ahead and download a couple episodes and listen to it." And oh my gosh! these episodes are really good. As someone who knows nothing about golf, I was engaged by the individuals that were coming on and guesting. I actually ended up learning about the organization, learning about golf, and it became really clear to me that Thomas and the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund were doing podcasting right. Because again, I'm not someone who's ever golfed, and suddenly I became interested. Now, let me share with you just a little bit about Thomas. So he is... They're in a staff role at the Scholarship Fund as the Director of Development and Alumni Relations. And like all good development directors, he has a passion for what this organization does. So he and his family are golfers as well. And he is passionate about their mission, which I've already shared, which is to provide need-based scholarship to young people who've worked at Massachusetts golf courses. So Thomas and his family actually go out golfing, and doing golf activities. And in addition to that, they are also proponents of the mission of Project Sweet Peas, a nationwide nonprofit focused on empowering families who have experienced extended NICU stays or infant loss. And so I am so very pleased to be able to introduce Thomas Murphy so we can have this conversation, really a case study on a nonprofit that launched a podcast right. Hey, Thomas, welcome to the podcast.
1: Dolph it's it's an honor to be on thank you so much for having me on I'm a, as you pointed out I'm a listener to your show I'm uh, very impressed by the show that you've built and done uh, and I want to thank you on behalf of a lot of people who work at nonprofits I've learned a great deal from your show I pass it on to my colleagues uh, other people who have worked at organizations some of our board members and we've stolen some some tidbits and some thoughts from some of you from you and some of your guests so we thank you very much for that and uh, we really uh, enjoy the show and it's an honor to be on
0: well, thank you, Thomas. And I'll share with you, it's one of the reasons why, honestly, why we started the podcast. You know, as I already said, also to grow our community and to be able to to find people who are interested in the types of things that we're interested in. Now, I know you and I spoke a few weeks ago, and you have a really unique story about how you got into podcasting, and it's probably not what most people would imagine.
1: That's exactly correct. Uh, So, just as a bit of background and a little bit of a a personal story, I've been a podcast fan for over a decade now. Back when I was uh, still in college, kind of when, at least to me, podcasts were a bit in their infancy before they were as popular as they are now, I was listening to a number of shows and I got really into them. And down the road, I came to learn that my brother in law, who has a professional career as an engineer, uh, has a family and two daughters, also launched a podcast of his own. And in doing so, I came to learn that. This is something that's very doable for the average person, that someone uh, who's not an audio engineer is capable of achieving. And actually, that same brother-in-law asked if I have any interest in doing a podcast. And I said, that sounds great. And in doing so, I, I came to learn from watching him do it that it's very possible for someone who's not a professional or an audio engineer to accomplish this. Um, you know, And again, from that experience, I... Sort of had the concept kicking around in my mind about, you know, could this become something that our organization could do? Could we take some of the tools that I learned from doing this on my personal life and bring it into our professional life? Um, And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that there was really... There is a structure there. There's a concept there that could work for our organization to get the stories out um, for the people, for the volunteers, for the donors, for the supporters who have made a really big impact on our organization. And you can do it without, again, being a professional in this world. Um, I think my pitch to any listeners here would be that my day-to-day job is much like that of anyone who works at a small to mid-sized nonprofit, you know, especially on the development side. I spend my days fielding emails and calls from donors and planning fundraising appeals and things of that nature. So to add in this new marketing effort would certainly be new and kind of off the wall, but I was, you know, excited to bring the pitch to my my boss and eventually our board of directors and it kind of went from there.
0: So I've got to ask you when you first took this to your executive director what what was the response? To
1: his credit, he was very open to it. Um, I'm uh, very fortunate to work in an organization with not just an executive director who welcomes new ideas and new thoughts, but a board of directors who has a lot of trust in our staff. And when I came to him, I I don't think that he was a huge podcast listener at the time, but he certainly had uh, an understanding of how big the market was for podcasts. And once we went through the pitch of how exactly it could potentially work, he was very open to it. And it seemed like something that was a bit cutting edge, something new. Uh, We didn't really have a template laid out for us by other nonprofits, you know, even far bigger than us. But in kicking around some ideas and some thoughts, we realized that it would be possible within the structure of the size of our organization, our staff size, uh, and what we are trying to achieve with our marketing communications. So again, to his credit, he said, let's let's think a little bit more about this. Can you come back to me with a a written out structure of how it could work, what the structure of the show would be uh, and what exactly we would be trying to achieve with the show? And we kind of went from there.
0: Very cool. Now, I know part of the role of an executive director, or really any, anyone's supervisor, and also part of the role of a board is to look at risk and go, okay, here's where there might be some risks, or here, here's where this might not be a good use of time or whatever. So when you came back with that structure and kind of with that full proposal, what were some of the risks or concerns that people brought up?
1: Yeah, so the truth of the matter is that the concerns that we fielded were that it's a very public-facing p- way of doing marketing. Right. Uh, again, we are not professionals when it comes to producing and running a, a show. We, you know, we don't work on the radio. We don't, we don't have any back expertise in doing that. And so if you're going to lean into doing a podcast, you have to have some faith and some trust in what exactly it is you're going to be doing, and what you're putting out there. Um, and so that was a concern for us. What exactly would the structure be? Who would be hosting it? Who would we be talking to? What would the goals be? And then of course, there is the time aspect for our staff and the revenue thought as well. So we had to do a lot of research into what exactly would this cost us? Not just uh, dollars and cents when it comes to producing and publishing the episodes, but the time for our staff, my time, my boss's time and other people in our organization to make sure it was done professionally and published you know, the right way so that we didn't actually hurt the brand of our organization by publishing the episodes. We only elevated our brand.
0: And so what I hear you saying is that other piece was really that opportunity cost. Okay. If it's going to take X hours of the development director's time and Y hours of the executive director's time, what else could they be doing with that time that would have even a better return on the investment?
1: At the end of the day, this is not an effort that on its face is a revenue producing effort. We knew that right from the start. This is just a way to add to our marketing communications and elevate our public brand. But spending your time, spending my time, spending the time of our director of communications and marketing is not going to directly lead to dollars in the door for our organization immediately, right on its face. And so that was without a question, a risk, but it was a risk I think that we were worth taking because it was new, it was interesting, and it would be a way for us to elevate those in our community, our donors, our supporters, our alumni, our volunteers, our current scholars who have really made a huge impact on our organization. Um, And in doing so, we could reach you know, new supporters, new donors, which we've been fortunate to have happen.
0: So, and, and part of what I really liked, and I, I think this probably also mitigates your risk some, is you all made the intentional decision to have seasons. And so, seasons is a good time to take a break and say, okay, what did we do well? What did we not do well? What did we get out of this? How could we get more of what we want out of it and less of what we don't want? If we could start by talking about that initial initial structure that you created for your first season.
1: Absolutely, and I think this would be something that's different for every nonprofit to think about when they're deciding if this is even a possibility. And if they decide that it is a possibility, how exactly do we want to structure the show? You know, that would be decided by the staff or board who you know would eventually conduct the show. But I think the questions you you asked to yourself and that we asked to ourselves was, what would be beneficial to your donors and your community? What are some stories or examples of success or people that? have made a difference who you might want to highlight? And also, more importantly, how can you do that at scale? Right. When we came and we kicked around some thoughts and ideas and were brainstorming, we had one or two or three ideas that we thought were really cool. But how do you make that into a longstanding marketing piece that can go for 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 episodes? Right. And how can you do that at scale while we're talking about, okay, we still have to respond to all our emails. We still have to do normal day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month work that we do at our nonprofit. So for us, we decided early on that, Because of all the other aspects of our day-to-day job, we couldn't commit to making it a weekly or even a bi-weekly show in perpetuity. So yeah, we did, we decided on a season structure for us. That means 10 episodes, which come out weekly over the course of about three months. And kind of for us, what we did was look at our calendar and identify which times of the year were less busy for us. So as our organization is a, as you pointed out, a golf related organization, it tends to be May until November where we are at our busiest. Um, so we said, well, why don't we launch this first season, this first run of 10 episodes in March. That will run through the beginning of May. And then we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll kind of conduct what is our busiest season and should it work out? And should we like the way that those, that first 10 episode run went, we'll come back to it in the fall. And that's actually what we decided on doing from there we looked at how exactly the structure of each episode would work. Once we decided on the 10 episode seasons, we said, how do we want the show to work? Who do we want to be the host? Do we want it to be a conversation where we're just talking about our organization? Do we want it to be a situation where we're interviewing um, guests who have made a big impact on our organization, volunteers, donors, supporters, as we've talked about? Um, you know, For some nonprofits, it might be best for them every two weeks to have a board member or to have their executive director come on and do a 10 to 15, 20 minute hit talking about what has happened at their organization, what has made a big impact in the last few weeks, that could be a structure that would work. It just wasn't the structure that we decided on for hours. So we decided on the interview structures we talked about with important people in our community. Um, and we decided on about 30 to 40 minutes per episode hosted by our executive director and by me.
0: And I've listened to several of your episodes now. and What I really love, honestly, is the diversity of guests that you have. The ways in which they are connected to the We Met Scholarship Fund, but also in some cases not nearly as connected, but still really interesting guests that both your supporters and people that know nothing about golf might might download and go, oh, yeah, I learned something today.
1: Well, I'm happy you said that, Dolph. The key for us in the show really was, yes, of course, it's a marketing piece for the We Met Fund, without question, but it's also designed to be an interview of that specific guest where that person can share their story. And sure, we choose guests who have made an impact on the organization, and we talk about their involvement but that isn't necessarily the crux of each episode we're choosing sometimes it's vendors who have made a big impact on the organization current alumni scholars uh people who are sort of on the fringes of being involved with our organization if you will but who have made a big impact in one way or another for one example we interviewed a man by the name of ryan carey who is the founder of a company called golden age auctions uh, they partnered with us a number of years ago and have made a huge impact for us but that being said, we spent 90% of that interview talking about things that aren't related to the We Met fund. We talked about his childhood, where he went to college, how he came to found his business. And that allows the listener to not just get an advertisement for the We Met fund somewhat subconsciously, but have a deep interaction with the person to hear their story. And as you point out, we feel this leads to a show that can be interesting to a broader audience. Even if they don't necessarily have an interest in our organization, they might have an interest in that specific guest. Uh, and thus, in that way, we're still engaging with those people who wouldn't normally have even heard... Of our organization. Uh, And it's interesting, Dolph, looking at some of the statistics. Now, this could certainly be a detriment uh, to our statistics for those who know podcasts deeply, but we've been interested to find that each episode has about 75 to 80% unique listeners to that episode. So people aren't necessarily coming back because they love to hear from me or from Colin or because they're huge supporters of the We Met Fund. They do it because they're really interested in that guest themselves. For us, we find that to be great because we're bringing in new people who. Perhaps have never even heard of our organization into the fold uh, from all different states, sometimes internationally, and that's been a a phenomenal boost for our marketing and communications and for the awareness of our brand.
0: I also just have to say, I know season two just launched, and I have to give you some kudos about your very first episode that I think came out this week. I was listening to it this morning on my run, and the person that you interviewed, first of all, as I've already said, you've got great guests, so she was a great guest, but somewhere around minute two or minute three in the podcast, you said, oh, by the way, this guest is also someone we're honoring at our 75th anniversary event. And you said the date in 2024. And I remember thinking, what a really great way to promote your event without sounding like you're promoting your event. It literally was a oh by the way, this is also a guest that we're honoring for her great achievements in golf. And again, I just I was really struck by that and I thought, yeah that, that is such a good use of your podcast and, and I think that might have been the only real promotional thing in an enti- in that entire episode. It was like a 40 minute episode, but it was a piece that stuck out to me and if I was all about golf, I might be thinking, huh, should I go to Massachusetts? this winner. <laughs> <or laughs> well, spring. no, thank
1: you. We, we, we were uh, very fortunate to have Julie Inkster's her name. And Julie Inkster is one of the greatest golfers to ever live as, you know, World Golf Hall of Famer. And she's going to be the honoree at our annual banquet. We have an annual banquet every year. This was one of the many pieces, Dolph, that went into the consideration of doing a podcast was, hey, if nothing else, we can use this as a marketing and sales tool for our big event, our annual gala. And that's exactly what that was. What you listened to, Dolph, was, as you pointed out, a fairly subtle effort to introduce our community to the person who's going to be honored at our gala that gala has 1500 people in boston it's by far our biggest event of the year and to have the opportunity to sit down for 40 minutes and talk to your honoree and have everybody be introduced to who that person is before the event it's hard to put a value on that
0: and i agree with you and and it's interesting i actually rewrote the intro i rewrote the bullets for my intro after after I came back from my run this morning because I do remember thinking, yeah, that's kind of the power of the podcast for a nonprofit. I mean, literally you and and your guest that you were both in my ear as I was running. I mean my run was about 55 minutes. So then I had to do something else for the next 15. But you know, but still, you know, for you know for about 40 minutes of that, you all were in my ear. And I am someone like if I'm grocery shopping by myself, if I'm cooking by myself, if I'm commuting by myself, I just run podcasts. And so literally the opportunity to be whispering in someone's ear. And again, what stood out for me is, is, yeah, you've you've got your you've got your seventy fifth anniversary gala coming up. I I just I had to to put that in there that that even when it's not about marketing, even when you say, oh yeah, you know we we have topics where may, you know maybe we never even discussed the WeMet Scholarship Fund. In reality, there are, there are little ways that you get it in there and they stick with people.
1: Thank you for saying that. Exactly, I think that. As you know, Dolph, there's we have a lot of the traditional ways of marketing. Uh, we have our website, we have our email blasts, we have our social media. Those are often bite-sized pieces of content. But I think what you're hitting on is that we are having a fairly intimate 40, 45-minute conversation that the... The listener, the person who's engaging with it, is, is engaging with our organization, our mission, our brand for 40 minutes at a time. That, in this day and age, is almost impossible to do for a not, especially for a nonprofit, to have uh, a potential donor, a supporter, maybe a sponsor of an event listen to people who work for your nonprofit and someone who means a lot to your nonprofit for 30, 40, 45 minutes. Again, it's very difficult to put a price on the value. Yeah.
0: And I also have to say from the fundraising perspective, as an example, you know, if you have donors who are all about the LPGA, you know, this is absolutely an episode you'd want to share with those donors and go, hey, we know this is a golfer you're probably really interested in. And we had a great 40 minute conversation.
1: That's absolutely right, Dolphin. Candidly, that's exactly what we did.
0: So when that <laughs> when that
1: when that episode came out, of course, we share it with our community and you know our board and our staff. We then reach out with one to one emails that we're sending to people that we know in our community. And we say, "Hey, Mike. Hey, Joe. You know, I know you've known of Julie Inkster. I know you know Julie from this, or you may know Julie from that, uh, or perhaps you're very closely involved with the LPGA. Just thought you might be interested in hearing our conversation with Julie." send. And all of a sudden that person responds, wow, I can't believe you spoke with Julie Easter. Wow. That's so impressive. She's fantastic. Whatever it might be. Candidly, it elevates the brand of our organization that we could be associated with her in that way.
0: Exactly. And I will share with you, I think anyone with a podcast, they use it in that way as well. A way that I used it recently, I have a client that's really struggling with something. And and I, I was like, you know, let me get a guest on to talk about that. And we never mentioned the client. Never, ever do we mention the client of the podcast, but at about minute 22, I asked a specific question on behalf of that client without saying, oh, I'm asking a specific question on behalf of my client. And before we released the podcast, I actually sent it over to the client. And I was like, by the way, I asked this question for you. So just just want you to get the answer before anyone else does. And the person responded back. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe you do that for me. And I'm thinking, we're all in the relationship business. Like, how would I not do that?
1: and that's why you're the best doll that's why you're the professional <laughs> with three three 350 episodes and we're just learning from you absolutely
0: that is very very kind of you to say but that is a great pivot point cuz i wanted to ask you about this and i know when we spoke a couple few couple few weeks ago i said i was going to press you on this i'm really curious about what your downloads are so i'm going to start by sharing what my initial downloads were so my my very first week as a podcaster in July of, I think, two thousand and six or two thousand and seven, we had forty three downloads. And by the way, probably half of those were bots. So I, I partied. I jumped and up and down. I'm like, oh my god, this is great. <laughs> Forty three downloads. I never thought I'd have forty three downloads, and I also thought, you know, I've gotten on a plane and flown across the country to speak to a breakout group at a conference that had less than forty three people. This is awesome, and you know, flash forward seven years later, we have half a million downloads, et etc. But I, I wanted to share that because I, I get that all oak trees start out as acorns. So, so what, what were your downloads like for your for your first couple episodes, and and how has it grown?
1: Well, that's it. First of all, Dolph, that's uh, very. Good for us to hear, to know that there's the potential for growth out there, right? But we also know, as you point out, we're, we're a very niche market. We have a, It's a very specific thing that we do. We provide need-based college scholarships for young men and women who have worked in the game of golf in Massachusetts. So we have a pretty small community to start from, right? Um, the other thing that we knew, and we you've been talking about risks earlier, this isn't necessarily a risk, but it's something that we needed to be aware of. And candidly, that we've learned through the release of our first 11 episodes. It's difficult to break into people's normal routine of podcasts. I can speak for myself. I have six, seven, eight shows that are downloaded directly into my feed on a daily and weekly basis. I look forward to listening to those shows. It takes a lot for me to say, I'm going to break away from what I'm normally listening to and spend 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour more with this new show that I don't know much about. Right. So starting from there, that's a, we're fighting against it. Right. And so we knew that we needed to leverage our guests more than anything to help, uh, have people come into our fold we may have been a little bit spoiled and i know i'd love to to talk about it our first episode was with a man named dick Connolly, who is by far the biggest benefactor in the history of the we met fund uh, and an incredible supporter of this organization an alumnus of our organization and a fairly well-known philanthropist in our area and when he agreed to do it we were be over the moon and uh, you know that may be a topic for a different question when we released his episode within six hours we had over a hundred downloads now there are, I believe at last I checked there's over 700 downloads to Dick Connolly's episode. It's by far the most downloaded you know episode that we had. Our average of downloads is two hundred and twenty six downloads per episode. So we are dealing with for you or for another not or another podcast might be extraordinarily small numbers, very, very small. But for us, what we realized is we are having, A few hundred every week, a few hundred extremely intimate and personal uh, conversations that are happening in people's ear that are just 40 minutes of marketing for our organization. For those 226 people, they're spending 40 extra minutes with the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund. It is difficult for us to put a value on what that means. uh, But candidly, we were thrilled by that number. And somebody could very well say to us, "Doll, boy, I don't know if it's worth your time to, to do this show for 226 average downloads. For us, we'd say that's candidly more than we had even thought was possible, and we're thrilled about it. Just being candid with you as well, and for any nonprofits out there, your numbers could be 60 downloads. It could be 30 downloads. It could be 50, 100, 1,000. There could also be somebody out there who listens to your show and has an incredible experience listening to a guest or a volunteer or a donor and decides to get involved or decides to sponsor an event or decides to create an endowment or decides to make a large gift to your organization. Is that worth the time that you spent with that person? And I, we would argue yes. And, you know, candidly, again, we could talk about successes. Some of the successes have been new people in our organization, without question, who have come to learn about the Francis We Met Scholarship Fund from, from this podcast. There have also been some significant donations that have come to the organization from people who said, I'd never heard of your organization or I'd heard of your organization, but I, you know, was a sort of us uh, interested in it or I knew of the mission, whatever it might be. But when I heard you talk to this person or this person or this person, I heard them say, X, I didn't know you had this program. I'd love to support that program. So to us, we've been thrilled with the feedback. Um, but I'd be curious to you know hear from other organizations and other nonprofits who launched their podcast so that we have some semblance of an understanding of what success really is as far as downloads. All we've had is word-of-mouth feedback back to us of people who we've never met, and we've been thrilled by it.
0: And so I want to reflect on a couple things and also give you some feedback. The first thing I want to reflect on, and this is not so much feedback, is that this part's really more for our friends who are listening. I think it is so powerful that you had your one of your most significant benefactors on your podcast You know what we try to do in the nonprofit sector, the lengths we go to to try to get our largest donors to share us within their circle. I promise you, anyone who's on a podcast who's not on the podcast circuit is going to be sharing that within their entire circle in ways that they wouldn't, even if they, for example, like were being honored at a banquet. Because, you know, when you're being honored at a gala, sometimes you're thinking, ah, I don't want all my friends to feel like I'm pressuring them to give, et cetera. This is a no-ask, no-risk way for your largest donors to literally be sharing you with their circle. I think that's genius. Second, in terms of your stats, some quick feedback. So. First of all, you literally had more than twice the downloads on your first episode than I had on mine, okay? So, <laughs> so, so second of all, I know you're in season two, but I think you're still in your first year of, of podcasting. Correct. And so for episode 11, you have... You're getting way more downloads than I got after my episode 11. I can't tell you what it was, but if I had if I had a hundred downloads per episode, episode 11, I was really excited about that. I feel pretty confident about that. So, I mean, you all, I think in golf, it's called a hole in one. So you, you, Because right. <laughs> I was trying to think, what's a home run in golf? And I'm like, okay, I think that might be called a hole in one. Uh, but, so, but you know, so so like you all are hitting a hole in one. And I also just reflect, and, and this is for you, and also for for our friends who are listening, who are thinking maybe about starting a podcast for their nonprofit. When I first started the podcast, I actually talked to a veteran podcaster, someone who'd been doing it for seven years. And one of the things he said to me is he said, you know, this is a long game and you aren't really going to see significant audience, et cetera, until you've been doing this Three to five years, and it was interesting because he was a hundred percent right. Somewhere between four and five years, suddenly I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah!" Like there's a snowball, and 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 the snowball is rolling downhill, and we're building more community, and we're we're building more friends and more relationships. And you know, the other thing that I kind of mentioned one of the reasons to start that podcast is also to have greater influence in your community and your sector. And yeah, and all of that absolutely happens. So again, you're light years ahead of where I was, like multiples, two, three times ahead of where I was after episode 11. You're kicking it. You're doing great.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. And again, I would reiterate, just for anybody out there who's considering doing a podcast, we uh, truly, we don't, necessarily base our success on just the downloads. That's not the only metric that we look at. We are thrilled when we see an episode do very well. We are you know, curious that maybe we made a mistake or did something wrong if an episode uh, fewer downloads. But at the end of the day, for our organization, we're choosing guests who have had an enormous impact for us, who have been great volunteers, great supporters, great donors, like a Dick Connolly, who's the greatest benefactor we've had for our organization. And we are then taking, as you pointed out, those conversations and sending them within even within our little niche community within communities within that community. So, for example, we have guests who belong to golf courses and golf clubs throughout the state. If we had this has happened a number of times, we've had a guest come on. We have had a wonderful conversation and we then go back to that golf course or club where they have their own community of two, three, four hundred people and we go to the general manager or the head professional or whomever it may be and say, Hey, by the way, we spoke to X person. They were fantastic. They've been great supporters of ours. Your community might be interested to hear from that person. And often these places have monthly emails. So they, and it's worked very well. They share that out to those new two, three, 400 people. And that's, again, why I think that we see so many unique listeners to our show. Oftentimes, people aren't necessarily coming in because they know of us or because we have the brand recognition with them, but they do know X person and they love to hear from that person. From there, we hope, they might check out our website. They might go to our social media. Um, you know, they might listen to another episode. They might become more deeply involved with the organization. So you pointed out to gain greater downloads takes time. We're hoping that over time, we're creating a better and more deep connection with a lot of the people in our community um, that we may not learn about for another three, six, nine, twelve 12
0: months. Or three, six, nine, twelve 12 years. That's what I love about what you're doing. So I am hopeful that some of our friends are like, okay, Dolph, Thomas, I get it. My nonprofit needs to start a podcast. So I'm I'm hoping we can give them some information that's going to be really useful. Roughly, what was your budget for season one?
1: That's a great question. And if I can start from the beginning, once we decided that we were going to go forward with this, we uh, at the organization said, we'd love to be able to do this internally. Let's bring this all in-house. Let's make sure that we record the episodes, edit the episodes, produce them, publish them all in-house we did five or six or six lessons of audio engineering and quickly learned that, A, we have a lot of other responsibilities to worry about, and B, maybe we aren't the best audio engineers in the world. And so we realized that, it, and again, you know this, Dolph, to just prepare uh, prepare the questions, get the guests scheduled, have the interview, do any post uh, you know, work, that's three, four, five hours of work. If you include doing the Audio engineering, the editing—you're adding, pro- you're doing probably double that. So now you're talking about seven, eight, nine hours.
0: And if I can just jump in on that audio, audio editing piece, like you, I started off editing the podcast myself. I had to teach myself how to how to edit a podcast, and I found that to be one hundred percent true. Like I might spend four, or five, or six hours putting a podcast together, and then another five to eight hours on editing and what i was floored at is when i sent it to an editor they could do it in like an hour or less yeah
1: <laughs> right yeah especially and i i know your the structure of your show is likely similar to ours especially for people who know what they're doing they can take our audio piece and do it in like you said an hour or less i mean they're cutting very little out of this conversation to make it work so we decided to say okay we so to to answer to your question very long-winded we didn't start with a budget we started by saying we'd like to do this and let's do this in-house once we realized that wasn't going to be possible we said okay let's develop a budget within our marketing department to see uh to to see if we're comfortable spending x is it possible to still accomplish this project and what i can tell you is if you're doing episodes i'll just use ourselves as an example because i can't speak to what another nonprofit might or might not want to do if it's more of a a weekly episode or biweekly, that would definitely be different for the budget, but for 10 episode structure, we were able to accomplish 10 episodes for less than $2,500. Uh, so it was under $250 an episode for us to truly come on to Riverside, which is the platform we use for the, inter- the interviews. Um, have the conversation and send it off to our partner. And they do their, They work their magic off. They send it back to us. It's 99% done. We maybe cut a little bit here or trim a little bit there. And we say to them, can you, do you mind publishing it? And they do that for us on a weekly basis. Um, I would love to give them a shout out because I, I think for anybody who out there who might be interested in doing this, they're a phenomenal partner. I can't say enough about them. They're called the podcast consultant. Their prices are extremely reasonable. And the work is fantastic. We've been thrilled to partner with them, and we look forward to continue to work with them.
0: I love that. And thank you for sharing both of those. So what I hear you saying is it's about $250 per episode. And so you could think about that like, okay, if you wanted to have a 10-episode a, a season, that's $2,500. If you wanted to do 50 episodes in a year, which is weekly, which is a whole lot of work, but if you wanted to do 50 episodes in a year, do some quick math, that's like $12,500. Um, which in the grand scheme of things, even for a for a quarter million dollar organization isn't that much money.
1: I, I think that's exactly correct. And I, t- to give a little bit of background, we have eight staff members at our organization, our revenue fluctuates. It's more than the number you just, uh, noted there. It was a piece of our marketing budget. It was not the whole thing. It was a candidly, it was less than a quarter of a marketing budget to, um, to produce and and publish these episodes. And I can t- only speak for ourselves, but I promise the same would be true for anybody out there who starts a podcast. We have received that back many times over in, do- in both in donations, truly, in dollars in the door, but also in new donors coming into the fold, new volunteers, uh, new people coming to our programs and to our events. It has been well worth the investment.
0: You just stole my next question, but okay, I'm, I'm glad you answered it. I'm really glad you answered it. So so, na- so now let's talk about um, the equipment budget. So that, that $2,500 for your first season, does that include the equipment you bought or now?
1: <laughs> so it does not include the equipment we bought, but here's what I can tell you. We bought two microphones, uh, Samson Q2U microphones, Dolph, two microphones was
0: $120. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You bought two mics total for 120 bucks.
1: Yep. The each one was 60, dollars And the, uh, the stands for those microphones, those totaled $80. So now we're up to $200 in total. And that is it for the total amount of money that we put into our equipment because we have invested in partnering with this podcast consultant company who does the vast majority of the work on the back end with the engineering. What we use to record these episodes are headphones, a microphone, and a microphone stand, and that is it.
0: Okay, so so it sounds like your your total capital cost is 200 bucks, and then it's about 250 per episode, and then it's it's more or less turnkey after that.
1: That's correct. Uh, as far as the equipment, that is absolutely correct. I think that the, the people... What they should do is focus on the structure of their show. They should focus on who they want to be hosting the show. Should it be someone on their board of directors? Should it be a member of the staff? Should it be structured in a different way entirely from what we've had, where perhaps volunteers or donors are running an episode? There's so many ways to creatively think of doing a podcast to benefit your organization. Um, that is the part that took a little bit longer for us to figure out and um, and decide on and you know kind of check off and say, we're going with this structure. But as far as the equipment budget, uh, it was very much a, a small piece of the decision.
0: Thank you that is really good to know. So um so we've talked about equipment, we've talked about budget, we've talked about structure. Do you have one other really big tip for a nonprofit that's thinking about starting a podcast?
1: There's a few things that I would recommend. I the thing that had worked best for us truly is is having an understanding of the fact that and and our board certainly impressed this upon us as well and they were correct. This is an excellent idea. We love what you're doing. We love that you're having more deep and engaging conversation with our community. Don't forget that the most important thing is our mission, what we're trying to do, the, the, everything that you've done on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis before this. This is an important piece, but don't let it take up too much of the time. So when we looked at the structure of how we want to do the show, we almost... It wasn't that we didn't want to have more interviews or want to feature more people from our community. We just had to understand that our time needed to be spent on other things just as much as it needed to be spent on this. So deciding on that seasonal structure was really a good idea for us. I might just offer the uh, recommendation of maybe it's biweekly. Maybe it's once a month. Uh, Maybe you have one week where you release five episodes and then you take some time off think that through because it is a time commitment. Dolph, you can speak to it as well. Even by not engineering and editing these episodes, you're still spending, I would say, on average, probably three to four hours per episode because you need to reach out to the guest. You need to confirm that that guest wants to do it well ahead of time. We're talking about weeks ahead of time. You need to prepare questions. Uh, And then after the episode's recorded, it's sent back and you need to edit it from there. And then my last tip would be, have a marketing plan around the release of these episodes. And I'll give one quick example. Each year we do an auction uh, where we auction off items and the, the funds of that raise go towards our scholarships. Our partner for that is that guest that I mentioned earlier, Ryan Carey, who owns Golden Age Auctions. We had his episode released at the exact same time that our auction was live. So people could listen to his conversation, have a better understanding of the company. In that conversation, we talked about the auction that we had live. And of course, we mentioned it then. And when they go to our website, the first pop-up that they see is the auction that's live. So think ahead about when you want certain episodes to be published and how you want to have that collaborate with your fundraising goals.
0: Thank you. I I, I appreciate that. And um, I could not agree with you more. If I were to do this over again, I would have done seasons. And my seasons might have had more than 10 episodes, but I probably would have done 26 or or 30 episode seasons every year. Um, Because I I do think you're right. It gives you a nice inflection point to stop, think about what you're doing, and then start again. Uh, So we have gone way, way over on time in terms of the length that this podcast normally is. And so I still want to make sure, though, that we get to do two truths and a lie. So hit me, Thomas. Give me two truths and a lie.
1: Let's see, Dolph. Uh, Two truths and a lie. Well, here they are. I was born in New York. My favorite color is orange. And my favorite director, movie director, is Christopher Nolan. What do you think is a lie?
0: Okay, so... I've read your bio, and I think your bio says you're from Connecticut. You might have been born in New York, though, because they're really close to each other. And I do think Christopher Nolan is your favorite director. But I, and Orange, that's a tough one. Um, But I'm going to guess that you are not born in New York. You were born in Connecticut.
1: Again, Dolph, this is why you're the best. You're exactly right. I was born in Connecticut. Well done.
0: Well I, I appreciate you sending me a bio ahead of time because I remembered it and I'm like, wait a minute, I think he's from Connecticut. I was like, but aren't they're really close. So maybe he was born in New York. I thought um, that
1: might be the one that could trip you up.
0: And, and let me say, had you said California I'd be like, oh no, you're from Connecticut. So there's no way there's no way you were born in, in, in California. Well, right. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us And you know whenever we reach this point of an episode, I always want to leave some URLs with our listeners so that way they can get in touch. So the very first one, friends, I want you to go to wemet.org. And at WeMet.org, you can learn more about their mission. Um, and by the way, they ha- actually have a really huge goal to meet 100% of their 450 annual scholars, college tuition, financial need. So that, that's a really, really significant goal. So I encourage you to go to WeMet.org. Additionally, in our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com, we are going to put a link to the WeMet podcast, um, and it'll be an Apple link a Spotify link, um, and then also a link to their show page. And if you go into the show notes on your phone, you can get it there as well. We'll also link to Thomas's LinkedIn page. Hey, Thomas, thank you again for coming on the podcast.
1: Dolph, I can't thank you enough. And I, you know, this was a lot of fun and I really do encourage people to check out those podcasts, not because they're excellent or because they're wonderful, but because I hope it can show you that it's really possible for your organization to create a professionally sounding podcast and really elevate your organization's brand for not a a
0: large amount of money. Thank you, Thomas. And I just, I also just want to reiterate that. Friend, if you do not already have a podcast for your nonprofit, I want you to put some serious thought today into what a podcast might look like at your nonprofit and also put some thought to how you can make that budget work for you because now you have a sense of the budget, you have a sense of the tools. And as I started this episode, if you want to be spending time with your biggest supporters and potential new supporters, if you want to be going to the grocery store with them, cooking with them, going to the gym with them, podcasting is the medium to do that. Now, there's one other episode that relates directly to this, and it's episode 269 with Kristen McMahon. And in that episode, we discussed the podcast that her nonprofit, the Robert H. Jackson Center, launched. It's another great, very inspirational story about a nonprofit that has launched a podcast and has seen a big benefit from it. That, friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And the lawyers make me do it. Otherwise, honestly, I really wouldn't. But oh well, I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. And neither I nor the consulting practice provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. I say this every single week. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And you know what that means it means it should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please, if that is what you need, find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the help and the guidance that you really need.